let's do it. What if you're one step away from changing everything? In this moment, breathe in gratitude. Set your intention. Expect miracles. You are seen. You are worthy. You are light. This is the Lightworker's Guide. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, my beautiful friend. Welcome to the Lightworker's Guide podcast. I'm your host, Lucy, and I am so grateful you're here. Last week, we talked about how to hear God's voice and know you're being guided towards your purpose. And the way to do that is to start carving out some intentional time to be still and grow in your relationship with God. So I'm wondering, how's that going for you? Just know that it's a practice and to be patient and know that with every day you are growing that relationship, especially if it's your intention and it will happen for you. With each episode, I love to start off with something that I am grateful for, something that I'm celebrating. And I have to tell you guys that I am so grateful two of our very dear friends had their first baby girl. Just even saying that brings tears to my eyes. She is so precious and perfect. And she came early, just a few days early than her due date, but she was actually born on what would have been my dad's 75th birthday. So very, very special indeed. And we met her this past week and gosh, you just like soak in the miracle of these little precious, precious children. So um, I am definitely grateful for that. And then on that same day on what would have been my dad's birthday, my family got together for dinner and we honored him and, you know, celebrated him. And that was a difficult day because we just miss him so much. But I keep seeing signs that he is always near and I can talk to him whenever I want to. So my heart is definitely full. And in this episode, I'm going to share with you another element to my faith journey and sort of tie up this three-part introductory series, which will bring us to the present moment and where I am in life and business today. So last week, when I was talking to my newest client and I was asking her about what her purpose is, and she feels really, really called towards being an alignment coach. And she was using the word alignment specifically. And so I just straight up asked her, do you mean, are you infusing human design and that sort of alignment into your coaching? And she got kind of quiet and said, well, to be honest, my background is Catholicism. Hold up. Right away, I was like, oh my gosh, girl, we have so much in common there because, well, my background is also Catholicism, specifically 
Roman Catholic. You know, we were from this Italian family and it was just part of culture. Culture rather than religion. It's just like, it was just part of life. And my dad had an uncle and his name was Father John and he was a Roman Catholic priest and he would come to our house fully robed and literally set up an altar in our living room and have this Catholic mass. And my sisters and I remember we used to go like behind because it would be covered with a a tablecloth and we would like go underneath the table and eat all of the, the Eucharist. And we were like, well, it's okay. It hasn't been blessed yet. So they were just like little snacks. And we would and I share this with you just to say, like, Catholicism, I totally get. And so fast forward to when I was 15, my parents got divorced. And when I say parents, I mean that my dad and his second wife, who he was married to from when I was four until 15. And my dad met his wife who he ended up being with for 30 years so he you know he finally met his match there but she was just a non-denominational christian and so what that basically means is you know christianity is this big umbrella and catholicism is just like one of the things under that umbrella but overarching is we believe in jesus and non-denominational christianity just means that we don't believe that we need to for for instance talk to a priest who then that priest talks to god for us we believe we can talk to god directly and when i heard that distinction it just felt so much more aligned with my truth of who I felt in my heart of like, yeah, I, I can talk to God. I feel God. I hear God. And I should be able to just go to him. And there's so many parts of the Bible that encourage us to do that. So from 15, and now and you heard my story last week, I really, really leaned into my faith. And I trust God wholeheartedly with everything and so during 2020 the big reset that we all experienced together i would go on walks it was basically the only thing we could do right so i'd go on walks and i always listen to a podcast and one of my favorite ones was by richard Rohr, and he is well basically he is a priest and a catholic priest and he wrote a life-changing book called the universal christ and i read this book back in 2019 and it aligned so much with my faith and what i believe to be true y'all i cannot recommend this book so much i will put it in the show notes for you but i'm just gonna kind of get into it right now i think we're ready (laughs) so i'm gonna just give you a little bit more examples of what i was talking about so as i read through the bible and saw this mounting recognition of presence reality is already soaked with the presence And we, as humans, love to look for metaphors, like, for example, anointing. 
So what anointing does when we think we anoint something, it is to remind us of what was already there to say, this is sacred. And then this is where confusion can can start because it's not the oil that makes something sacred. It's the practice of anointing something that makes us aware. So really we're saying this person, this baby once it's baptized, this rock, this stone, we say this is sacred, this is presence. But remember, presence was already there. The anointing or blessing of it doesn't make it so. And that's the meaning of the word Christ. Christ is simply the Greek word for Messiah, which means the anointed one. So when the idea of a Christ-soaked world is a creation spirituality and y'all know my favorite book in the bible is ephesians and ephesians 1 3 says you were chosen in christ from the beginning and then farther on it says before the world began you were chosen and in romans 8 he sees it in terms of nature too All nature is longing to reveal the sons and daughters of God. And even the natural world, his brother, sister moon, all of the family of Christ's soakedness. And some people, some of our ancestors, just weren't trained to see it that way, very unfortunately. And now... We've thought we could torture animals, pollute the earth, kill people who are not Christ-soaked because we thought it was up to us to decide. She's got the anointing and he doesn't. You cannot leave that choice to the human being. That choice comes from the divine anointing. And everything, everything is divinely anointed. Everything has the breath of God in it. God's presence resides and so kind of circling back to catholicism there's the example of what the bread and wine represent and then we say the priest is the magician who makes this presence happen and no the presence was already there and it's there in every element and we made it too much we brought it right back to ourselves you know not the honoring of presence in the elemental world, in food in this case, if we'd only understood Eucharist as the taking of the notion of presence, not just to people, but to things. And then we say, you know, we are what we eat and they are the body of Christ too. The whole thing is the body of Christ. But that's a mystical knowing, and you'll never be able to prove that, nor do you need to, because the journey toward that seeing is the journey toward enlightenment, and it is a journey. You don't get it all in one minute. You get it by many moments of reverence, of respect, and as Rumi would say, kneeling and kissing the ground many moments like jacob of pouring the oil on the rock and saying this is the gate of heaven this is it you know by normal jewish theology that would be paganism right sounds like hindu temple doesn't it 
pouring oil on a rock and saying, this is the gate of heaven. But I take that as the first concrete image of what became the Christ mystery. This idea that Christ is in everything. Oh, I love that so much. It's like, right? That is, that is good stuff right there. Christ has touched everything around us and it is all the goodness that is in this world. During the same time is when I was kind of introduced to human design. And, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And it's almost like the same thing of when you learn your Enneagram or like any sort of like personality, you kind of like lean in and go, ooh, I want to learn more. And then if it aligns, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. That's totally me. And you kind of move on from it. Or maybe you don't and you're like diving in and you just like want to learn more. And how does this tool know me so well? Um, but at the time, I did not have my birth time. I couldn't find my birth certificate. So I only knew a little piece of my human design. And actually, next week, I am going to dive way deep into what human design and the gene keys are. But for now, just know that for a few years after hearing of human design, I didn't know my whole chart all I knew was that I was a projector and when I played with the times it would totally change all the other pieces of my chart so I'm like okay apparently I'm a guide and I'm like well that kind of sure that sounds like me but I really wanted to understand what about this is God's way of confirming what he's already told me god's whispers is this a way for me to hear him on another level and so just kind of understanding what what human design is and where it came from the more that i learned about it as i also shared last week it's like yeah i always just default to does this align with what i already know to be true about god's character So leaning into that, I'm like, yeah, this is the stuff I know about God. He created everything. And for me, that includes the stars and the planets. God is higher than what our imaginations can take us, full of mystery that cannot be defined through our language. He knows the very finest details, even the details like counting every hair on your head. God is a God of detail and order. So wonderful to think about. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Even in the Bible, right in the Gospels, where Jesus is introduced, God uses a star to guide the wise men to Jesus. He uses the North Star to show them where to go. So we have this little clue that God uses planets. Well, first of all, he uses everything to speak to us in a way that we will hear. 
Speaking of the Gospels, right there we have evidence of four different interpretations of the same story. So already we're given inspiration, but a hint that there's not only one way to see it. So let's go back to the original origin story. God said it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Genesis 1. But for some reason, it seems we decided to begin with Genesis 3. The problem, the sin, eating that dang apple. And I think the human mind likes to wrap itself around a problem and then think of itself as the problem solver. So it's like, see, I solved the problem by pouring water at the right time with the right words and baptizing. We just prefer to start with the negative. Not everybody, but I'm talking about these, the way that the religion has gone. And now we know from brain studies that the human brain wraps around negativity, fear, and problems. And it doesn't know how to rest in contentment. That's why we teach various processes of meditation to learn how to rest in this this thisness, this in nowness, in enoughness, because you have to retrain the mind, at least in this point in history, but it must have been that way because of history repeated this problem of loving problems. We, and I say we as Christians, have collapsed Jesus into Christ. But what that does is it leaves, what, 13.7 billion years empty of presence, empty of God. So we're supposed to believe that God only started talking 2,000 years ago or even for at most 5,000 years ago, which is just a drip in time with the beginning of the writing of the Bible. God was not talking before he wrote the Bible. I believe he was. And as Richard Rohr says, that's why the early Franciscans believed that creation was the first Bible. Nature was the first Bible, which is stated, as you know, in Romans 120, everything we need to know about God is in the world as it is created. But we just pretty much had Jesus without Christ. And that's why I think this is such an important notion because then this Jesus became something that we could capture and encapsulate in our moment of time, in our culture, whatever it might be, but it was all too tiny. The Christ keeps Jesus from being tiny because it's too big for the human mind to contain or control it. But you know what? People are ready for bigger. They're ready for a bigger frame, a non-dual frame that we're not lessening Jesus. We're not replacing Jesus with Christ, but we're saying the two notions, the two realities balance and inform one another and fulfill one another, really both of them. I love this verse, the word became flesh. 
And also right from the beginning, God said, let there be light. God said the word and the word became flesh. So Christ is precisely thingness physicality forms like rocks and crystals and water everything has energy and everything is living and breathing with christ in it he knows you he knows us he knows who we're going to encounter and he knows what will pique our interests and what will turn our heads and i believe there's certain things that we lean into because he wants us to know him he wants us to know our purpose he wants to guide us there so when i learned about human design i thought yeah this is aligned And so I'll cut to more recently, I did find my long form birth certificate and it had my birth time. And well, you might be wondering, like, why didn't I just ask my parents? And this goes back to my parents got divorced when I was really young and did not have a relationship with one another. And so I did ask my dad and he was so firm in his belief that it was 10:30 in the morning and he described it and so I was like okay and then when I asked my birth mom she told me that it was sometime at night and so <laughs> I mean I just have to laugh at that cuz I'm like well okay the more that I think about it being a mom I'm like my mom might be right she might just because you know she's the one who gave birth and my dad probably just remembers like that's when we went to the hospital but I never did actually get a chance to ask him about it but I'm sure he hears me now and just kind of giggles but um because I I did find my my birth certificate and when I did I was immediately like right plugging it in and then found my whole chart and then I dove in and that's when I have found every piece of my chart totally confirms the things that God has already said to me and when I needed to have this affirmation really loud and clear is when it came to me. Ah, you guys, why every time I talk to you, I just start getting emotional. Oh, Lord. So it's just, um, it is emotional because God knew he really needed to remind me of the truth of who he created me to be and to not lose sight of it. And because it aligns so much, it's like I have—I can't not believe in it. And I don't mean in a way of believing it over God or it taking over my religion, but I do believe it is a tool that God has given us to use, this beautiful tool. And that is what I found it to be. It's 
specifically the gene keys is just the part of human design that I love. Like it is, it is my favorite part of it. And it is just this tool of discernment, a tool for exploring how God is calling us to live our lives. And what's really, really beautiful is as I read through each gene key, what naturally happens for me is a verse will come to my mind and an inner knowing gently reveals how I've operated in the shadow or I'm living in the gift. And that is just a little, little hint for where we're going next. And I, I'm just so, so excited to take you all on this journey and and have you discover this tool and see for yourself, does it align with where you know God has already been calling you? So with that, I am going to share three values based on Richard Rohr's teaching of universal Christ and the way we're called to live our everyday lives. And these values are devotion, simplicity, and virtue. So how do we live a devotion kind of life? In order to do that, you have to live a life that is connected to your heart and not just staying in the mind, not doing thought work, not living up here. And they call it like closing that six to nine inch gap. And really looking at reality out in the world with soft eyes. You know, you you see people like that and you just get a feeling about them and they always just sort of have this natural soft smile on their lips. They just see good in the world. And that's what it means to really, really live connected to your heart. Purify your intentions and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Never to make it be about how it will look to others. And it made me kind of think, you know, hearing the teachings of Jesus, and he does say, blessed are the people who are pure at heart. These heartfelt people, you can't dismiss them. You know right away Like you can just tell someone has a good heart and you can't fake this connection, this warming of the heart. It is the work of grace. And the face you turn to yourself is the face you will turn to the world. And it starts with that really, truly embracing your story, giving yourself grace for your past, all of the things you might have done where you feel like you might have messed it up. You cannot mess it up. You can't mess it up. So really learning how to have grace with yourself. And when that happens, you naturally will give grace to the world. So I ask you, what warms your heart right now? Just think about that thing that when you do think about it, you feel that softening in your heart. And that is the spirit that is moving inside of you.
So the next value is simplicity. And when we think about simplicity, this overlaps with humility and being humble, right? If your spirituality is in any sense making you climb, making you achieve or prove or perform, you have good reason to mistrust it because that is your ego operating. The movement towards simplicity doesn't sacrifice beauty. Simplicity doesn't mean unadorned. So if you think about like needing to put on accessories, put on the things, just like put on the mask, put on the things to make yourself beautiful, taking them off doesn't make you not beautiful. So this idea of simplifying is actually when you see pure beauty and putting beauty in service to the good and the truth and not having emphasis on anything external. So if you feel like you're trying too hard, you can see the inconsistency of that. You need to pare it down, pare it down, slow down. And if contemplation is not leading us to some form of understimulation and a sense of enoughness, then it's not right. And that contentment, like we talked in the very, very first episode, is that first stage of gratitude where everything is stripped down and you realize that what you have is enoughness. And so the third value is virtue and it is this sense of public virtue. And it's kind of hard to describe this word, but for the sake of others, as opposed to thinking me, 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 you know, so I do these things so that I can go to heaven, so that I can be saved. Instead of not self-seeking, but really seeking the good for others. So this is radically generosity to serve. Your eyes are turned outwards towards reality. Then, if an act of service emerges from what you see, Now it comes out of compassion and love for others and not just with the motivation of serving from myself first. And this actually circles right back to the heart again. And a big piece of understanding your purpose is to understand what your passions are. And I describe passions in my Illuminate Your Purpose course as what breaks your heart. What are you passionate about in the sense of your heart breaking? And it is the symbol of the wounded heart, the passion of the Christ. And right there, my friend, is the definition of today's light worker. Devotion to the heart, the simplicity of being enough, and having virtuous eyes to look outward with radical generosity to serve. If we can renew these three historic vows, together we are going to give a gift to the world. 
You are worthy, powerful, and created for a unique purpose. The world needs your genius, that thing inside of you waiting to be fully realized. Let's discover it and use it for good, creating a legacy with your one and precious life. And next week, I am going to begin guiding you through understanding the basics of human design and contemplating the gene keys. I cannot wait to go there with you. Okay, beautiful soul, until next time, remember, you are seen, you are worthy, you are light. Hey, thanks for listening to the Lightworkers Guide podcast. You are given a divine download and it's your purpose to serve the world with it. I guide a select few clients per month to launch and scale their signature program. Coined the Kajabi Queen, I take your brand and your vision to a whole new level. Are you ready? Apply today at lucycelebrates.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the show notes and all the discount codes from my favorite guides. Until next time, Lightworker, keep on shining on. You were created for something extraordinary. I love you and I'm out.